Hello, you're very, very welcome to the beautiful game here on DC 98.3 FM. Yes, you're very, very welcome to The Beautiful Game here on UCC 98.3 FM. We've got a very, very busy show for you today as well. We're going to be doing a sort of a reeling in the years, kind of year in review of the sporting calendar and what was uh, an extraordinary year on and off the, the field of play. So uh, James and Oliver will be joining us a little bit later on to discuss that. And also we'll be uh, discussing the modern day athlete and uh, well, just the advances, I guess, in sports science in recent years. Uh, but we're going to kick off with the news headlines over here, the latest sports news. What's been happening has been a very, very busy day. And we're going to start off with the soccer because West Brom have sacked their manager, Slavin Bilic, after 24 hours after leaving, or less than 24 hours rather, after leading the promoted side to a draw at Manchester City, having taken the reins at the Hawthorns last summer, the former Croatia and West Ham boss ended his first season in charge at the Baggies helm with automatic promotion and as the championship runners up. Uh, but uh, West Brom have found, uh, well, they found life very, very difficult in the Premier League and they sit 12th or 19th rather in the standings on 7 points uh, following uh, last night's 1-1 draw at the Etihad Stadium. Sam Allardyce, who has been out of work since leaving Everton in 2018, has emerged as the leading contender to replace Village. And sticking with soccer, a very, very interesting story uh, coming out of the Basque region because the Basque Football Federation have applied to the sports world governing body FIFA and European soccer organisation UEFA to be officially recognised so that the regional team can compete in international competition. Uh, a delegation from the regional federation and regional government travelled to FIFA's headquarters in Zurich and UEFA's base in Neon on Tuesday to register uh, the application for full membership. So an interesting story there and like to Gibraltar we've seen although they're not an independent state they've um, been taking part in the international qualifiers despite being a part of Britain uh, for the last few years so it, it wouldn't be unprecedented if it was if it was to happen and uh, going from there where I well it's um, the, the, the interesting fact about uh, the back team actually is that uh, it was founded in 1915 and they play friendly matches but have never played in official competition. The team's last game was a 2-1 win over Costa Rica in November featuring Spain internationals Iker Muniain and Inaki Williams and the current coach is Javier Clement who managed Spain between 1992 and 1998 leading them to two World Cups. Moving on to darts, it's been a very very busy couple of days at the PDC World Championships at Alexandra Palace and it's uh, well Willie O'Connor has now advanced to the second round he will set up an All-Ireland uh, game with Derry's Daryl Gurney the 11th C later on this evening after comfortably coming through his first round today 
and it's um, well it's a, an interesting tour uh, this this year because uh, the event is taking place behind closed doors from today onwards as London moves into the top tier of restrictions in England meaning all sporting events must take place in empty stadiums 1000 fans were in attendance at last night's matches a record seven Irish players taking part uh, Mies Keane Barry has already been defeated in the first round uh, last night he lost three sets to one there in his first round encounter in uh, rugby Munster will be without out half Ben Healy for Saturday's Heineken Champions Cup clash against Claremont the 21 year old suffered a, um, an injury uh, a shoulder injury yesterday following an MRI scan after Sunday's win over Harlequins at home in Park and will not uh, or will now start rehab uh, so uh, Healy came on as a replacement for JJ Hanron in the 60th minute of the 21-7 win and shipped a couple of very very heavy and lace challenges uh, Munster though have added that Matt Gallagher uh, underwent successful surgery last week and will now undergo rehab uh, while Jeremy Lockman so shoulder injury and null scans and neck injury have fully healed and they have returned to full team training so that's the latest sports news there and I'll keep you up to date as well throughout the hour as to whether or not there's any other um, interesting uh, stuff we need to get through uh, over the next uh, little while but uh, we're going to move on now. There's um, an interesting. I want to play. I want to go a little bit. I suppose a left field today because there is a quite an interesting uh, topic, and that is sports science. And sports science has been really. I mean, it's been it's been going on for for so long now, and uh, there's a couple of very very interesting stories uh, about us that I want to try and play for you if I can and uh, it's it's quite an interesting one and it's to do with as I said sports science are athletes really getting uh, stronger or and faster in the last few years so this guy his name is David Epstein and he discusses uh, this I suppose phenomenon really and whether or not uh, they have been getting stronger or is it to the advanced technology let's let's hear what he has to say higher stronger and athletes have fulfilled that motto rapidly. The winner of the 2012 Olympic marathon ran two hours and eight minutes. Had he been racing against the winner of the 1904 Olympic marathon, he would have won by nearly an hour and a half. Now, we all have this feeling that we're somehow just getting better as a human race, inexorably progressing, but it's not like we've evolved into a new species in a century. So what's going on here? I want to take a look at what's really behind this march of athletic progress. In 1936, Jesse Owens held the world record in the 100 meters. Had Jesse Owens been racing last year in the world championships of the 100 meters? When Jamaican sprinter Usain Bolt finished, Owens would have still had 14 feet to go. That's a lot in Sprinterland. To give you a sense of how much it is, I want to share with you a demonstration conceived by sports scientist Ross Tucker. Now, picture the stadium last year at the world championships of the 100 meters. Thousands of fans waiting with bated breath to see Usain Bolt, the fastest man in history. Flashbulbs popping as the nine fastest men in the world coil themselves into their blocks. And I want you to pretend that Jesse Owens is in that race. Now close your eyes for a second and picture the race. Bang, the gun goes off. An American sprinter jumps out to the front. Usain Bolt starts to catch him. Usain Bolt passes him, and as the runners come to the finish, you'll hear a beep as each man crosses the line. That's the entire finish of the race. 
You can open your eyes now. That first beep was Usain Bolt. That last beep was Jesse Owens. Listen to it again. When you think of it like that, it's not that big a difference, is it? And then consider that Usain Bolt started by propelling himself out of blocks, down a specially fabricated carpet, designed to allow him to travel as fast as humanly possible. Jesse Owens, on the other hand, ran on cinders, the ash from burnt wood, and that soft surface stole far more energy from his legs as he ran. Rather than blocks, Jesse Owens had a gardening trowel that he had to use to dig holes in the cinders to start from. Biomechanical analysis of the speed of Owens's joints shows that had he been running on the same surface as Bolt, he wouldn't have been 14 feet behind. He would have been within one stride. Rather than the last beep, Owens would have been the second beep. Listen to it again. That's the difference track surface technology has made, and it's done it throughout the running world. Consider a longer event. In 1954, Sir Roger Bannister became the first man to run under four minutes in the mile. Nowadays, college kids do that every year. On rare occasions, a high school kid does it. As of the end of last year, 1,314 men had run under four minutes in the mile. But like Jesse Owens. Sir Roger Bannister ran on soft cinders that stole far more energy from his legs than the synthetic tracks of today. So I consulted biomechanics experts to find out how much slower it is to run on cinders than synthetic tracks, and their consensus was that it's one and a half percent slower. So if you apply a one and a half percent slowdown conversion to every man who ran his sub four mile on a synthetic track, this is what happens: only 530 are left. If you look at it from that perspective, fewer than 10 new men per decade have joined the sub four mile club since Sir Roger Bannister. Now, 530 is a lot more than one, right? And that's partly because there are many more people training today, and they're training more intelligently. Even college kids are professional in their training compared to Sir Roger Bannister, who trained for 45 minutes at a time while he ditched gynecology lectures in med school. And that guy who won the 1904 Olympic marathon in three and a half hours. That guy was drinking rat poison and brandy while he ran along the course. That was his idea of a performance-enhancing drug. <laughs> Clearly, athletes have gotten more savvy about performance-enhancing drugs as well, and that's made a difference in some sports at some times. But technology has made a difference in all sports, from faster skis to lighter shoes. Take a look at the record for the 100-meter freestyle swim. The record is always trending downward, but it's punctuated by these steep cliffs. This first cliff in 1956 is the introduction of the flip turn. Rather than stopping and turning around, athletes could somersault under the water and get going right away in the opposite direction. This second cliff, the introduction of gutters on the side of the pool that allows water to splash off rather than becoming turbulence that impedes the swimmers as they race. This final cliff, the introduction of full-body and low-friction swimsuits. Throughout sports, technology has changed the face of performance. In 1972, Eddie Merckx set the record for the longest distance cycled in one hour at 30 miles, 3,774 feet. Now that record improved and improved as bicycles improved and became more aerodynamic, all the way until 1996, when it was set at 35 miles, 1,531 feet, nearly five miles farther than Eddie Merckx cycled in 1972. But then in 2000, the International Cycling Union. Decreed that anyone who wanted to hold that record had to do so with essentially the same equipment that Eddie Merckx used in 1972. Where does the record stand today? 30 miles, 4,657 feet.
a grand total of 883 feet farther than Eddie Merckx cycled more than four decades ago. Essentially, the entire improvement in this record was due to technology. Still, technology isn't the only thing pushing athletes forward. While indeed we haven't evolved into a new species in a century, the gene pool within competitive sports most certainly has changed. In the early half of the 20th century, physical education instructors and coaches had the idea that the average body type was the best for all athletic endeavors. Medium height, medium weight, no matter the sport. And this showed in athletes' bodies. In the 1920s, the average elite high jumper and average elite shot putter were the same exact size. But as that idea started to fade away, as sports scientists and coaches realized that rather than the average body type, you want highly specialized bodies that fit into certain athletic niches. A form of artificial selection took place, a self-sorting for bodies that fit certain sports. And athletes' bodies became more different from one another. Today, rather than the same size as the average elite high jumper, the average elite shot putter is two and a half inches taller and 130 pounds heavier. And this happened throughout the sports world. In fact, if you plot on a height versus mass graph one data point for each of two dozen sports in the first half of the 20th century, it looks like this. There's some dispersal, but it's kind of grouped around that average body type. Then that idea started to go away, and at the same time, digital technology, first radio, then television and the internet, gave millions, or in some cases billions, of people a ticket to consume elite sports performance. The financial incentives and fame and glory afforded elite athletes skyrocketed, and it tipped toward the tiny upper echelon of performance. It accelerated the artificial selection for specialized bodies. And if you plot a data point for these same two dozen sports today, it looks like this. The athletes' bodies have gotten much more different from one another. And because this chart looks like the charts that show the expanding universe, with the galaxies flying away from one another, the scientists who discovered it call it the Big Bang of body types. In sports where height is prized, like basketball, the tall athletes got taller. In 1983, the National Basketball Association signed a groundbreaking agreement, making players partners in the league, entitled to shares of ticket revenues and television contracts. Suddenly, anybody who could be an NBA player wanted to be, and teams started scouring the globe for the bodies that could help them win championships. Almost overnight, the proportion of men in the NBA who are at least seven feet tall doubled to 10%. Today, one in 10 men in the NBA are at least seven feet tall. But a seven-foot tall man is incredibly rare in the general population. So rare that if you know an American man between the ages of 20 and 40 who's at least seven feet tall, there's a 17% chance he's in the NBA right now. <laughs> that is, find six honest seven-footers, one is in the NBA right now. And that's not the only way that NBA players' bodies are unique. This is Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, the ideal proportions, with arm span equal to height. My arm span is exactly equal to my height. Yours is probably very nearly so, but not the average NBA player. The average NBA player is a shade under six foot seven with arms that are seven feet long. Not only are NBA players ridiculously tall, they are ludicrously long. Had Leonardo wanted to draw the Vitruvian NBA player, he would have needed a rectangle and an ellipse, not a circle and a square. So in sports where large size is prized, the large athletes have gotten larger. Conversely, in sports where diminutive stature is an advantage, the small athletes got smaller. The average elite female gymnast shrunk from five foot three to four foot nine on average over the last 30 years. All the better for their power to weight ratio and for spinning in the air. And while the large got larger and the small got smaller, the weird got weirder. 
The average length of the forearm of a water polo player in relation to their total arm got longer, all the better for a forceful throwing whip. As the large got larger, small got smaller and the weird weirder. In swimming, the ideal body type is a long torso and short legs. It's like the long hull of a canoe for speed over the water. And the opposite is advantageous in running. You want long legs and a short torso. And this shows in athletes' bodies today. Here you see Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer in history, standing next to Hisham El Garouj, the world record holder in the mile. These men are seven inches different in height. But because of the body types advantaged in their sports, they wear the same length pants. Seven inches difference in height, these men have the same length legs. Now, in some cases, the search for bodies that could push athletic performance forward ended up introducing into the competitive world populations of people that weren't previously competing at all, like Kenyan distance runners. But we think of Kenyans as being great marathoners. Kenyans think of the Kalenjin tribe as being great marathoners. The Kalenjin make up just 12% of the Kenyan population, but the vast majority of elite runners. And they happen, on average, to have a certain unique physiology. Legs that are very long and very thin at their extremity. And this is because they have their ancestry at very low latitude in a very hot and dry climate. And an evolutionary adaptation to that is limbs that are very long and very thin at the extremity for cooling purposes. It's the same reason that a radiator has long coils, to increase surface area compared to volume to let heat out. And because the leg is like a pendulum, the longer and thinner it is at the extremity, the more energy efficient it is to swing. To put Kalenjin running success in perspective, consider that 17 American men in history have run faster than two hours and 10 minutes in the marathon. That's a four minute and 58 second per mile pace. 32 Kalenjin men did that last October. <laughs> That's from a source population the size of metropolitan Atlanta. Still, even changing technology and the changing gene pool in sports don't account for all of the changes in performance. Athletes have a different mindset than they once did. Have you ever seen in a movie when someone gets an electrical shock and they're thrown across a room? There's no explosion there. What's happening when that happens is that the electrical impulse is causing all of their muscle fibers to twitch at once, and they're throwing themselves across the room. They're essentially jumping. That's the power that's contained in the human body. But normally we can't access nearly all of it. Our brain acts as a limiter, preventing us from accessing all of our physical resources because we might hurt ourselves, tearing tendons or ligaments. But the more we learn about how that limiter functions, the more we learn how we can push it back just a bit. In some cases, by convincing the brain that the body won't be in mortal danger by pushing harder. Endurance and ultra-endurance sports serve as a great example. Ultra-endurance was once thought to be harmful to human health. But now we realize that we have all these traits that are perfect for ultra-endurance. No body fur and a glut of sweat glands that keep us cool while running narrow waists and long legs compared to our frames, large surface area of joints for shock absorption. We have an arch in our foot that acts like a spring, short toes that are better for pushing off than for grasping tree limbs. And when we run, we can turn our torso and our shoulders like this while keeping our head straight. Our primate cousins can't do that. They have to run like this. And we have big old butt muscles that keep us upright while running. Have you ever looked at an ape's butt? They have no buns because they don't run upright. And as athletes have realized that we're perfectly suited for ultra-endurance, they've taken on feats that would have been unthinkable before. Here's Killian running up the Matterhorn. 
with a sweatshirt there tied around his waist. He's, it, it's so steep, he can, can't even run here. He's pulling up on a rope. This is a vertical ascent of more than 8,000 feet, and Killian went up and down in under three hours. Amazing. And talented though he is, Killian is not a physiological freak. Now that he has done this, other athletes will follow, just as other athletes followed after Sir Roger Bannister ran under four minutes in the mile. Changing technology, changing genes, and a changing mindset. Innovation in sports, whether that's new track surfaces or new swimming techniques, the democratization of sport, the spread to new bodies and to new populations around the world, and imagination in sport, an understanding of what the human body is truly capable of have conspired to make athletes stronger, faster, bolder, and better than ever. Thank you very much. Yes, so that was David Epstein there, and he was talking about the advances of sports science and how it has uh, really, I suppose, catapulted itself into pretty much every sport and how it, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if you don't have, I suppose, the my the athlete, or you know, the athlete of a body, or you know, the body of an athlete rather, then um, you know it's very difficult to compete the highest level. If you see even um, with the Limerick hurlers, for example, that's uh, something that really does uh, come to the fore. I think it, if you just saw, if anyone was watching the, the All Ireland hurling final on on Sunday, like the physicality over the, the Limerick team, it was just unbelievable, really, and that very much is the blueprint going forward I would imagine but a very very interesting talk there uh, David Epstein that was recorded a couple of years ago um, in, a, in, La- in Atlanta when the, there was uh, TED Talks and it was just a very very interesting I said I'll give it a, a listen today on, on the show but uh, some breaking news coming in uh, Exeter's defence of their Champions Cup in rugby has suffered a grave setback following the cancellation of Sunday's match against Toulouse because of an outbreak of coronavirus and uh, the Chiefs have reported a number of positive tests for COVID-19 are unable to fulfil the round two fixture at the Stade Ernest Wallon. The knock-on effect is that Glasgow and Exeter's opponents last weekend are unable to feel a side against Leon due to the need for some of the players to self-isolate meaning their game is also cancelled. The EPCR said they will convene the match result resolution committees to determine the results of the cancelled matches so interesting news there but some uh, breaking news as well. I'm delighted to say that I am joined uh, by James O'Donovan. How are you, sir? Thank you very much for joining us today. Ah, uh, pleasure is all mine, Sam, as usual. How are you? I'm very good now, very, very good. It's uh, I really appreciate the, the commitment. I know it's busy with exams and uh, assignments and stuff. I was up the walls myself this week. So. Yeah, we all are. I think it's just good to get away, get away and clear the head. Nice break, sure. Where else would you be? That's it, that's it. So I think what we're going to do today is... Uh, we're looking back on what was a crazy, crazy year that was 2020. Uh, I was saying at the beginning of the show, on and off the pitch, really. Um, what, like, what would you think of the the sporting year 2020? Was it a good, mixed, or were you just kind of happy to see some sort of um, sport uh, taking place at all? Yeah, I think you got to put it in perspective there. I suppose when the first lockdown kicked in, we weren't expecting. We didn't know when sport would return or if it would return for like a very long time it didn't seem likely it didn't seem feasible and it didn't seem like you know something that should be prioritised it should like the health of the the nation had to be prioritised the health of other nations had to be prioritised rightly so but um, no it was great to see sport come back when it did and I think it just gave everyone that boost and a bit of optimism at the summer um, and I think so like 
the Valerie in the year as a whole in sport I think it's got to be put into perspective and I think it did very well without being like a great year if you were to just review it purely on sporting terms I don't think it was particularly exciting in some sports um, but overall I think in perspective we did quite well to even get what we did <laughs> I think so I think so and uh, that probably would be back, uh, really back to some uh, of my highlights anyway for, for the year but I might start us off with um my own like I suppose one highlight for me and I definitely would so I've, I've kind of just written it a couple down that I know we'd like to maybe get into mm-hmm. uh, over the next while well, yeah. um, so like the first one for me anyway was one of the few events that did have fans uh, was back in was it Octo- early October I can't even remember at this stage because there's been so, a gluttony of sporting action since mm. then but the French Open we had Rafael Nadal um, I suppose just affirming his status as the god of clay really uh, in defeating Novak Djokovic to win his 13th French Open title and in front of some fans well over a thousand fans and the difference in atmosphere between that and Flushing Meadows um, in just a couple of weeks before I think was it was like chalk and cheese really yeah even just having a few 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 fans in just creates that bit of atmosphere you see it in the the soccer games now at the moment I know they're after restricting a few of them back again now but uh, just just having any bit of a crowd in there just the players feed off it so much and a player like Nadal especially he he lives off a bit of atmosphere if you were lucky enough to be one of those people who got into Roland Garros for the French Open I know it was a, a very nice ticket to have because you were like right up close closer than most were like where most people will get to see them I know I've been to Wimbledon and like you know you're watching from a distance if you're lucky you get one of the best seats like but all these people got prime seats like for very very good at very good tennis um, and the players as I said fed off it and it was uh, I don't know was it really a great final I suppose Nadal was dominant but um, I think more the circumstances and that again that they were able to play it um, and that it all went off without any issue was probably more the significance of it but uh, again yeah Nadal reaffirming his just it's like one of those things in sport now at this stage it's like going in I don't know beating the All Blacks in New Zealand or something it's beating Nadal on clay is the is the one you have to take off your list if you want to be considered a great tennis player now I think definitely in individual sports that comparison is perfect because you know you think of what are the, the great iconic challenges in sports so you have the All Blacks probably uh, the prime Brazil team back in the day if you were able to beat them with the likes of Pelé and um, whatnot, you were probably considered to be you know or producing one of the great displays I think in at the moment anyway in modern athletics it would either be you know trying to take down Usain Bolt in the Olympic final or Rafael Nadal on clay and it's just um, I've never seen anything like it really in terms of just pure and utter dominance on one particular well surface I guess from tennis terms but even just in in individual sports in general yeah I think it's it's certainly probably not been paralleled yeah it's hard to compare to other sports in a way his because his dominance is it's in a particular set of circumstances and whatever it is like there is a difference obviously there's a huge difference in the surfaces you play on in tennis but it doesn't change the player that much like granted it like the conditions and the fact that he played on the surface all his life like it is huge when you're at that level but like these are all professional tennis players like he's what's his record now 100 and 100 wins two losses yeah, i think it's insane that's like that's that's crazy like turning up with your he won his first ever rolling grass the first time you play in it like that's unheard, like thinking of that now in the modern generation yeah. if like if a player broke onto the scene and won their first ever it might be more common in women's circuit but even for a male player to break onto the 
tour and win their first ever Grand Slam at an event, like their first time turning up, and and win and to win the tournament outright, like they'd be front page news straight away, like they'd be completely shake up tennis rules. But that's what Nadal did in two thousand and four, two thousand five. Uh, and it's just been non-stop ever since like he has two defeats one to Soderling was a bit of a shock um, but he was arguably a bit injured in that yeah I think so the knees and uh, one to Djokovic who's probably other than Federer his greatest foe and again in, like he was I, injured that, yeah, that year as yeah, well yeah I guess so um, but like they're the only two asterisks next to him I guess at Roland Garros and it is just one of the places he just seems unbeatable while he seems not, I wouldn't quite say mortal in other sphere, like in other <laughs> grounds and in other surfaces. He's certainly better than most of them, but he like there's a certain fear element, and I'd say a lot of like a lot of those 100 wins. I'd say the players he's playing against are beaten before they even step onto the court. Like that's the psychology factor to it. I think so. Yeah. So, like, what about you then? What what moment um, do you want to visit first that kind of really stood out for you this year? Yeah. Um, that was an, in, an interesting one would be to look back maybe on uh, the American football Super Bowl the Chiefs winning their first title okay, in 50 years very good, yeah. so when I was looking at this I was thinking like you forget that there was fans <laughs> at, at, at sport this year and this was one back in February where um, the Chiefs won their first um, Super Bowl as I said in 50 years Patrick Mahomes Super Bowl MVP and it was just like looking back I was looking at the highlights earlier and it was just crazy to see because I'd, I'd watch a bit of the NFL now at the moment and to see like they they do have a small few fans but their stadiums are enormous um, so it really doesn't create the atmosphere like we were saying in the tennis even or something or the English Premier League um, closer to home but uh, like having the fans in the Super Bowl it's just it adds it's, it is the Super Bowl do you know and it would be very strange to see the Super Bowl in January February time again with no fans hopefully they might get it able to have a larger few with the vaccine coming on stream but it was um, the atmosphere and everything and it just added to it all like the Chiefs came from 2010 down to score 21 unanswered points in four minutes in the fourth quarter and I suppose like if you're if you like if you want to define a great uh, NFL player I think and a great quarterback even to put it more strictly it's one who comes from behind on Super Bowl Sunday and leads his team it's kind of like it's Hall of Fame stuff and I think Patrick Mahomes despite only being was he mid-twenties at a push 24 yeah, I think like, yeah it's scary it's already like they're, they're the favourites to win again this year and it's they're the team to beat so like he's already on track for Hall of Fame status if not already there yeah I've been kind of watching it a small I've kind of got into it like a little bit just to be honest uh, guilty as charged more from playing Madden on the PlayStation uh, and then just kind of getting into it from there to be honest but like I think the Super Bowl is like it's like one of those rare events where everyone like around the globe no matter, you might even know any of the players playing yeah. but you will just out of curiosity sit down watch a little bit people have like Super Bowl parties yeah. and stuff you people know. take the day off on the Monday if you're yeah. like, working on the Monday it's, or and it's more maybe I guess for like the occasion maybe perhaps more than the football at least maybe in Ireland anyway yeah. and just people kind of come together I know like I've had some some great nights just from being with people and, and just sitting down and watching it and just chilling out and stuff and there's a real kind of social aspect too and the razzmatazz that comes with it then the Super Bowl halftime show and all the pageantry that comes with it so uh, no I think it was uh, it was just a very special in particularly a special Super Bowl last year just um Given the length of time the Chiefs, like who had been through a lot of tough times in the previous decade, twenty years up to even like since their last Super Bowl in fifty years ago, um, and it was just it was very impressive to see um, a young quarterback just driving it on like it, it was it, like he was the man who carried them all year. They'd been kind of coming from behind, 
with just this exceptional offensive style of football and um, yeah the game lived up to it San Francisco played their part on the day Jimmy Garoppolo um, as I said put his team into the winning position but they couldn't close it out and it was just to be uh, the Chiefs day and like you just saw the emotional scenes afterwards it was incredible to watch yeah I know you're you're at that hand the predictions on the show you've already uh, tipped Limerick to win the All-Ireland uh, so you're going to go for the, the, Chiefs. the Chiefs again um, very very hard to back up a Super Bowl or a Super Bowl win an NFL championship um, I suppose my own team the Steelers started the season 11-0 but have lost their last two games so I think they're unlikely to win it I don't think they look as explosive I think the Chiefs are the team to beat anyone who beats the Chiefs will go a long way to winning it so if if you were a betting man, you'd have to bet on the Chiefs. Okay, I'll hold you to that. Yeah. Um, another event I want to look at, I wouldn't say left field, that's very harsh, but uh, one that it's not a sport, I guess, that's really in the main, I guess like the NFL, it's it's probably fallen out of the mainstream of definitely the Irish sports media in the last few years for loads of reasons. I guess like it's external stuff that's kind of tarnished the sport a little bit. But I wanted to look at cycling and the reason why I wanted to look at cycling was because uh, Sam Bennett from Carrick and Shore won the green jersey at the Tour de France and he was probably for the only Irish athlete this year that got a chance to really showcase their ability on the in a global sport on a global stage. And it doesn't get any more global then winning the final stage on the Champs-Élysées also known as the Sprinters World Cup so for basically for the cyclists that would um, kind of target more kind of stage wins and fast abrasive cycling rather than trying to pick up time on each stage for like general classification but anyway that's a conversation for another day but just to see like see another Irish athlete coming to the fore and you know winning in such an iconic race like that I saw a very interesting statistic recently surprisingly enough I think anyway the Tour de France the most the most outside of the World Cups we'll say in the Olympics the kind of the stuff that happens every four years it's the most watched sporting event in the world the Tour de France yeah that's yeah. testament I suppose to where the sport has been as well like that it still has that popularity across the board despite all its dramas and your Lance Armstrongs of the world that the viewers still pile in every year no I was only thinking about it that you bring up Sam Bennett now I was only thinking about it the other day I was saying who are the contenders for an Irish sports person of yeah, the year I think he has to be the, the RT sports person of the year awards and I was like other than your GA in an indigenous like um, level like globally you're thinking okay Kayleigh Taylor won a few fights like like ridiculous record whatever but she might have won it already and did she do anything particularly that she hadn't done yeah, already you know this point. year She's continued on being incredible, like which she is. But um, definitely something that came left field was Sam Bennett this year, and I, I I still don't think probably he's gotten the notoriety he deserves for it. Like it's an incredible, incredible win, and um, like he's won the top prize at his discipline in cycling. He's a sprinter. He's not a, a general classification contender. He's not. He's never going to win a yellow jersey. Like his aim, his dream. I'd say since he took up cycling, since he realised his best athletes were in sprinting, which are like winning stages, like the faster stages. 
uh, like the one on the Shams the Shams Elise. Apologies, my, my French <laughs> isn't great. I'll get the pronunciation right. Um, no, his dream has always been to win that blue ribbon event. It really is the yeah. blue ribbon event. Other than maybe the road, uh, I think the road racing championships. Yeah, the world championships yeah, in the rainbow have, jersey. Yeah, there the rainbow the jersey. Um, but and he backed it up again with stage wins in the Volta afterwards. So. Like he is a world class athlete that we have, and I just don't think he probably gets celebrated enough um, in it from a domestic level. Yeah, I, I I would definitely agree. Um, you know, he's twenty nine now as well, which is amazing, or thirty actually. Even I think his birthday was just after the Tour de France. But I think the reason why he might only have come to kind of the public recognition this year is because we see in these sports, if you don't, you could be very good top ten globally even in your sport but if you don't win one of these kind of big massive iconic events in a sport that might not necessarily be in the mainstream every day of your native country then you might not get that recognition it kind of takes um you know a massive victory like this to really propel you um and stardom it will say in Ireland for instance I think that along with maybe an Olympic medal is the only other kind of thing that could we saw with the rowers how they just became massive overnight because of the fact that they were able to win an Olympic medal so that's um, something uh, interesting and hopefully you can back it up next year it'll be something special um, so yeah what other um, events did you want what other moment uh, did you really want to look at that you really cherish this year uh, well I've been Trying, trying hard to stay away from watching the, the the English Premier League at the moment, given my uh, trials and tribulations with my team. We Arsenal. Won't go, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery and yeah. say we won't. We, we won't, won't even. We won't go dissecting Arsenal at the moment. <laughs> but um, no, my next moment is Liverpool winning the Barclays. Is it still the Barclays Premier League? Winning the Premier League anyway for the first time in thirty years in July. Um, they were just incredible, especially I suppose kind of before the lockdown I, I know they came back and they more or less had it sewn up after the lockdown anyway but they went on a 27 game unbeaten run which went all the way until February losing to Watford um, 18 wins in a row like it, it really was a no contest from about November like they they just started the season and just annihilated everyone in their path 24 consecutive home wins like at one stage they were 25 points clear of Man City they eased up a bit after the lockdown knowing they had it won maybe tried out played some younger players um, but still ended up with a total of 99 points like it was um, one of, definitely one of the highlights of the year and one, one that I'd say Liverpool fans won't let you forget even if you might want to forget for if you're not a Liverpool fan <laughs> 30 years it only feels like a, a split second now <laughs> we'll never hear the end of it yeah that's a good point I think what might take the gleam off it or maybe not maybe I think I, I've I'm sure you do as well Pl- I've plenty of friends that are Liverpool fans and they'll they'll go on about it now for the rest of their life but the fact that they didn't get to celebrate you know in front of the cop yeah. no fans like does that take a little bit of the glass off it a little bit yeah but I suppose they still like, the fans still came out in Liverpool anyway afterwards <laughs> no matter what restrictions yeah. they planned they were coming out and enjoying it um, I suppose it does take a little bit off it but as we said at the start of this discussion, it's better to have managed to finish it out than just given up on it and then they would have had an asterisk next to their... Like, they probably would have been... If they had been given the title, they would have had an asterisk next to their name. Um, so it's all relative, I guess, and they, um, their their fans can ha- at least be at peace with the fact that they were able to finish out the season and no asterisks, no anything's about it. They were the champions and by, like, a country mile, they deserved it. They think they'll do it again this year. They look like they're gathering small bit of momentum despite the fact that half their team seems to be injured at the yeah, moment yeah they're struggling with injuries now at the moment um, 
Spurs under Jose Mourinho look like they're they're doing something which would be an absolute travesty from my own point of view. But um, they, yeah, Liverpool. I think much like the Chiefs in the American football, they're the they're the team to beat. They have the the best players for all Jose's dirty tactics and dirty tricks. Um, I think Liverpool will eventually once they get their full team back. Um, I think they'll go a long way to winning it. Man City, yeah, not as good as they were, I'd say maybe second or third. Well, coming from a United supporter here, I'd be quite happy not to see Man City win, but... Uh, Man City or Liverpool, to, to be honest, to a Man United fan, that's that's pretty yeah, bad. But that's I a pretty bad option. That's it is terrible, but <laughs> I would actually... I'll go on record and say, if I had to pick one, if you put a gun to my head, I would say Liverpool. reason why yeah. I would say Liverpool is because at least they have a tradition of success and they have always been a great rival of United and you know the rivalry between United and Liverpool it's great for the sport it kind of draws in more not that football needs more fans but it it's yeah. one of those iconic rivalries like Man City ha- don't have tradition they don't have like David Silva is getting a statue outside the Etihad Stadium that's telling you all you need to know about the club the fact that they were literally just founded really 10 years ago and it's the only reason really why maybe it's coming from a bitter United supporter but the only reason why they're there is because of the money the investment and you know their their owners aren't exactly angels either you know it's just if I had to pick one I'd have to pick Liverpool just so probably on a technicality more than anything else um, I don't know I just rant over is it yeah rant over oh, I could keep going but <laughs> I won't I'll I'll save I'll say we won't have any listeners after after me finishing up we'll on have that no Man say. City listeners anyway that's a fact <laughs> I don't think there are any yeah. Man City listeners because there's no Man no Man City fans anyway in the first place so no. um, I know trying it's a la- it's last show of the year right I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah you're not feeling very Christmassy you're like Scrooge over there yeah or or, or the Grinch yeah right, um, a little bit off topic actually did you see um, Peter Rice he came out dressed as the Grinch. I didn't last night I, on the on the darts. Oh, I didn't. So oh, it's funny you mentioned it. Oh no, no. I actually I saw some picture of that today actually on my Instagram feed. I didn't really put two and two together of what it, what it was from, but actually I did see. Uh, he's always a man for the occasion. We were only discussing the darts last week, all the pageantry that goes along with that. Yeah, he was very very good, and um, I th- actually kind of suits his mood. I think as well because I think apparently he was distraught at the fact that no fans are, are being yeah. allowed at the championship. So it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. But moving on uh, to another uh, sport that kind of has great pageantry, but one of course that's very uh, special to our hearts, and just the fact that it's not a moment, I guess, in itself, but just the fact that we could get the All Ireland Championships played this year because it looked like for so long that it wasn't going to happen. I mean, even up until about August, September, it was very much like, oh, I mean, this is this is touch and go now. We're not going to go ahead and just see the joy that the players were able to bring, I think, to people. Like, I don't know about you, but for me especially, like, um, it, just, it was something to really look forward to. The weekends where normally I'll be able to do, you know, we'd all be able to do kind of other things. This is nearly one of the few things we could look forward to every weekend just to watch the J like there was matches that I watched that I would never ever watch just from the fact that there was nothing else for me to do and just to see the joy especially the likes of Calvin and Tipperary you know they were able to end long famines in their um, respective championships yeah um I suppose tip tip beating Cork is actually one of my um, moments of the year. Despite being two Cork men, I just thought it was ridiculous. Like just the outpouring of emotion from the tip players afterwards was just something to behold. And it was just what 
it's what draws you into sports why you play it's why you put up with all the nonsense you have to put up with it as you're growing up it's just for that moment you know and it's why um, Tipperary players came home from Australia to play in it it was all just for that one moment and it just like once you got over your disappointment of being from Cork and losing it after beating Kerry it was just incredible but to touch on your point yeah it was incredible to to play the both championships I know we have the final of the um, football to come and the other 20s as well uh, but thinking back where we were was it eight weeks ago or nine weeks ago we were like sitting here maybe I think we did discuss that how there was like cases coming out you know this was like just as the league was finishing yeah. and we were saying like there was players coming out wondering is this safe is this going to be to our detriment you know would the, will this be suspended halfway through with three or four teams rampant with cases which we've seen maybe in other sports um, but it, it, it didn't manifest itself and the it's gone very well like you got to for all the like hassle and grief the GA might get, they've managed to play this off very, very well. And as you said, having games on feels like non-stop every weekend for the last four or five weeks and high-level do-or-die, it's just been great to watch. Um, not really from a court point of view, but <laughs> um, and I don't think it's probably worked out in Dublin's favour, or it has worked out in Dublin's favour in that kind of the rest of their competition have more or less beaten each other before this this game at the weekend but we'll see what Mayo can bring to the table yeah it's uh, that w- interesting question for you now do you think like is Cork and Kerry one of your moments as well even though with the benefit of hindsight you're kind of like well okay we won against a really good team but then we lost to a team that I think we should have uh, yeah I think judging the moment on its values it was incredible yeah um, it was absolutely incredible like you got it got me out of my couch it got my dad out of his chair it got everyone up all, like it was just crazy like that last kick to, to just snatch to the dead again it's just something you could only dream of and to beat and and for it to be against our our oldest enemy shall we say um, it was an incredible moment but unfortunately for Cork look they just didn't kick on and I suppose they'll have to just learn from that and leave a fuel the, fuel the fire for next year Um but it may be, yeah, maybe it does take a small bit from the, the win against Kerry but it, I, I don't know does it take much from the moment that moment was incredible yeah I guess you have to kind of separate like if you kind of t- I guess you have to take yourself back to what you felt in that moment and I guess that thing with hindsight is look oh it's easy now to say oh well look it wasn't that good look we lost the next day out but like at the end of the day we were delighted if, if we just played that match and that was it like full stop last game of the year we would be sitting here I think very very pleased so um, what what other um, moments is there anything else you, you'd want to touch on um, I suppose returning back to the American sports um, one that I think we shouldn't forget as well is the NBA the Lakers winning it after especially after the passing of Kobe Bryant yeah, earlier in the very year very poignant yeah. yeah it was very poignant and it just felt like while the Lakers were very much on form to topping their division and topping their conference and going into the playoffs as one of the favourites I think it was just something that connected it just felt like it was written in the stars for them that they would go on and win it after that happening and it was very poignant like they didn't play I think for two weeks out of respect for um, Kobe Bryant who's a Hall of Famer one of the greats of the game and represented Lakers his whole career and will no doubt live on long in the memory there um, not even there but throughout the whole NBA he was one of just there it's one of those ones you see on jerseys like even if you weren't an NBA fan you just see Bryant 
um, on the back, but bigger than this, or maybe not even bigger the sport, but he as transcended big as, as yeah. big as yeah, and um, one of those like icons that just marketed and grew the game so like globally, you know. Um, but for them to win, they beat uh, Miami four two in the final, and the old warhorse LeBron James MVP again. And um, I just think that was a very very impressive moment in that it combined them commemorating a great man with also winning it the biggest prize in their sport. Yeah, it, it was fantastic, and um, I think just in basketball in general, it was a huge year just for the sport because you had you know the documentary The Last Dance, which I think really kind of re-energized maybe some of pockets of the globe where basketball might not necessarily your be couch a huge. Fan, you're like your your sofa sports fan. Like it gave us the, yeah. Suddenly you got into it again and was like there was I'd say there was an outrageous demand for NBA jerseys. Everyone wanted yeah. to buy fucking Bulls jerseys. Like yeah, it gave you a reason to re-engage the sport. I think and yeah, that's a a great point. I think the first thing I honestly did was I have an NBA game. Jeez, I can't. It's the second time now I'm referencing my PlayStation, which gives you an idea <laughs> of what kind of lockdown I had. But um, you know, I think the first thing I did was literally just go on and, and um, kind of start playing the ga- NBA again. And it it really just it was kind of a year. For for that and for I guess for an, it kind of suits I think like the nostalgia as well because you know this year I think a lot of us kind of you know we had loads of these kind of you know classic matches on like RT and a these lot classic of di- and a lot of discussions and reviews of times gone past being like what was the top five moments in Irish sporting history and the top five sports people yeah a hundred percent yeah and it just suits it was just like the perfect blend of that like nostalgia and the current the current crop but uh, it's been certainly. Um, one to to save or I guess actually even like to go away from maybe even the moments for a second but like do you think you yourself pre once you were able to go back um, playing like football and, and tennis and stuff again did you did it kind of give you a sense of like appreciation of okay I'm actually kind of fortunate to be able to be, to do this to be able to play sport again yeah, I don't know on a person level did I feel fortunate or anything I suppose it was great to go back or whatever you know and the thing you miss the most is like hanging around with your friends like they're, they're, they're the people you've grown up with all your life they're the people you've shared so many different moments before and then to, to cut off contact for whatever 12 weeks it was or longer bar the odd zoom call here and there it's just not the same and you miss you just miss being you miss the social element of sports no matter what level you play at, you miss miss your friends and so to get back like that you would feel fortunate probably got to see more of your friends than than, than a lot of people did during the year because you, you get to play in these team sports where you see more people it's just the nature of it um, so from that point of view as I'm talking to you now it, it does feel a small like it does feel fortunate in that way because some people have been cocooning and they don't get the opportunity to even see their family so for, for from my own point of view to go out and be able to see all these people and all my friends um, and teammates and stuff like that it's been a fortunate year but looking forward now to, to what 2021 brings yeah what what are you looking forward to kind of briefly I guess what what events in particular um, can't you wait for uh, I'd say the Olympics if it gets to go ahead in its full in its full swing I think we were discussing last week the sports that we think should be included and maybe not should be included and what sports going forward will be included I think that really sparked it I was like I really like I just love the sports fans only just loves watching all the different sports no matter if I don't really have an interest in them for three and three quarter years like it just all like you just 
gain this interest again in the space of two weeks and it's just it's just non-stop sport like we like what we kind of had in the sense of all the different disciplines and stuff there and like kind of even in the summer or in the GA sense in October September November time you just have this gluttony of sports coming at you and it's just phenomenal like you can just park yourself on the couch and just watch it all and just embrace it all and so that's definitely something I'm looking forward to what about yourself? Yeah no, the, the Olympics is definitely one uh, like how I love the Olympics it's just it's kind of like the I guess it's like a music festival you know for music fans this is like the fest, sports festival for sports fans and it's even longer than a, a music festival normally <laughs> so it's um it's just I can't I cannot wait and hopefully we'll get to experience it on, on our screens kind of in its purest form with fans there and, and stuff I know they're working very hard to make it happen um, other events I guess um, you know it's it's funny like we're we've just had the conclusion or about to have the conclusion of the championship the Six Nations was another one and they're coming around again now very quickly like they're they're going to be back in late January February so we don't have that much longer to wait again until everything kind of kicks kickstart uh, so those for me would be and of course the Euro 2021 I've, I've just forgotten it just came to my head there now look unfortunately Ireland won't be involved but I think I'll still yeah. still watch it I was thinking of that when, when when I was doing some research before coming on I was thinking of what what do we have to look forward to and then every time I was like well Ireland Ireland and that then and that but I suppose that's the thing about the Olympics we we'll always have somebody to look forward to whether it's Sam Bennett or someone else the rowers maybe um, or the boxing we're always good we all seem to be good at that but um, yeah I don't know would, would I be too optimistic about the rugby they haven't been that great towards the end of the year but like it's something it's it'll definitely be a challenge for them something you have sympathy on them for where they're sort of thrown out there at the end of October into November and now they're playing club rugby Munster playing last week and it's like non-stop for them but I suppose they're professional athletes and that's what they're there to do that's it and the, the Lions tour I think as well is, tour, is yeah. for yeah there's so much can't wait for it but uh, to place out I have to put you on the spot here now what what song are we thinking to place out the last song last of song. the beautiful game for this year 2020 um, we'll go with a, a festive one Driving Home for Christmas Drive me home for Christmas. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Christmas songs usually, but this one is probably one of like four that I, I like. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Christmas songs, but I don't know what. Like, are you actually? I'll go a little bit off topic, but it is the festive season. Like, it are you big into the, the old Christmas tunes there yourself? Um, I was only having this discussion a few days ago. Uh, I suppose I'd always have my three or four like yourself, and then maybe every year. You know, you might find one you hadn't really heard before. Um, I suppose Fairy Tale New York would always kind of be my favourite, but every year there kind of comes with new ones. I think I, you rediscover ones. I think one I'm definitely playing a bit more this year is uh, Elton John's Step Into Christmas as well. 